We take a single episode of a science fiction TV series and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. This is the Fusion Patrol Podcast. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Ben. Tonight we're looking at the Space 1999 episode, The Infernal Machine. A strange spaceship appears, calling out for assistance from Alpha. It has a curiously friendly, yet menacing way in turns. Alpha's computer seems to be in its thrall. Koenig, Bergman, and Russell are required to go visit and meet an old man named Companion, who lives alone in the ship with Gwent, the machine itself, which has the same voice as Companion. Gwent demands supplies and demonstrates that he'll use force to get it. And then Companion dies. And Gwent is sad. Recognizing that Gwent might be a little low on energy, Koenig orders Alpha to attack, but that fails. And Gwent demands that Koenig and Russell stay as his new companions. He has never been alone before. Carter tries an infiltration raid with the supplies, but uh, nothing comes of that. And finally, Koenig destroys the fuel rod that Gwent needs. Gwent realizes the error of his ways, and he, he kills himself. And seemingly Koenig, Bergman, and Russell, too, as they're trapped inside without air. Koenig then feeds the supposedly dead Gwent uh, some fuel bits, and Gwent lets them go, only to blow himself up in an act of suicide. So, what the heck were they thinking, Jump Ben? What were they thinking? Uh, uh, <clears throat> um, I don't know, but I wish the writer had committed suicide before finishing this story because, wow. We, this one was... I, this, was a, this was a real head-scratcher. That's... there. You, yes, that's it. It's not that it's, it's like bad. horrifically it's just, awful. It's just... No, it's just... What? Uh-huh. 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 That's okay. Good. Good. It wasn't just me. I thought I might have been hit on the head before I watched it or something and just kind of yeah yeah so um first off winters yes this was interesting well a where's paul oh he's oh, in sick bay yeah why i mean something happened um broken ribs i i guess i i'm going to guess Koenig beat beat the tar out of him at some point for some reason well, that, that or manic fits or, or Alan, you know, being the angry, angry Aussie that he can be sometimes. You know, but I don't think uh, I don't think Carter's contract will allow him to hurt somebody, but Koenig's will. Mm. Well, that's why it was off screen. Oh, that could be. That could be. Yeah. As far as you know, I liked Winters, although I was I was mm. looking him up in IMDb only to discover that I'd I have actually seen this. I'm, I'm more familiar with him uh, in comedy. Hmm. Uh, he, I, I'm a big fan of the, uh, British comedy series, The Vicar of Dibley, and okay. he's, he's in that show, and I didn't recognize him at first until much later on, I was like, okay, I see it now. So it was interesting to see him play uh, a more dramatic part. It's um, good. I, I kind of liked him. Eh, I have to say, I, I wasn't, I wasn't hugely impressed, but in particular, it was that first scene where Koenig leaves him, goes to his room, and then... Winters immediately has to call him, and he says, "This better be a real emergency." Winters and Winters is just like, 
I think it is. It was so badly said. I'm like, wow. Did they just, hmm. did like Prentice Hancock go off on a bender or, or he hurt himself or something right before shooting? And they just said, right, uh, you guy, get over here. Put on the red sleeve. Let's go. But I'm not an actor, sir. Well, whatever. I don't know. If he went on to do other stuff, I'm surprised. But that one, that one delivery, which was, you know, nearly his first, really got me kind of down on the guy um, to start with. But here's the part that kind of bugs me. I feel sorry for Prentice Hancock. I don't know what happened to him here, but he actually had a part in this episode. He obviously had a part in this episode that was a little meatier than what he usually has. Mm-hmm. And then he wasn't there for it. Because hmm. I'm, I'm sure that that was a he's sick during filming or something. And they just had to you know, hire somebody and put him in there in his place to to take care of it. And, you know, it was one of those things where they could shuffle the lines off to somebody else. No, we'll just give it to Alan. No, Alan's got a part in the Eagles. Give it to Kano. No, no, we can't do that. Kano's Kano. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, what about Sandra? No, she's a girl. I can't do that. She's got a yellow sleeve or whatever, you know, whatever it is. And so they had to bring in another actor to play that part. And anyway, um, so I felt sorry for him in that, that, you know, because he gets some crummy parts from time to time. But this one would have been okay. But also, I don't really like the fact that Winter's, you know, out of the blue. He's apparently third in command. Uh, Never seen him before. (laughs) Well... Okay, well, start off, uh, Prentice Hancock, I just read, uh, apparently he had to go to the hospital for an operation. Yeah, see? Yeah, that's what yeah. it feels like. It feels like, whoops, it's shooting day. Where's where's Prentice? Yeah, so that's why uh, they, they created the new character of Winters. What I thought was a little weird and almost patronizing was Koenig's initial treatment of him. Mm-hmm. Think you can handle yeah. the big chair guy? Yeah, yeah and then you separate the, the you know men from the boys, and I'm like... Wow, man, Koenig, uh, I'm sorry, but boy, you're a dick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and he regularly is, actually. I know, but this one was just really like, oh, wow, you're you're really a dick. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, in the past, I mean, yeah, he's done some really, you know, dickish kind of things, but it's like, oh, Koenig, wow, that's, man, that's just not cool. Well, and then you combine that with his line where, you know, he calls him and says, this better be an emergency. Like, no, I'm sorry, Commander. I, I, I couldn't find – which where do you keep the pens? Is it yeah. the left drawer or the right drawer? I don't know. I'm like – I'm sorry. I was reaching for the cigarette lighter. And, you know, I'm the I'm, I'm, so, I'm, I'm a little unsure here. Uh, could, could, could you come out here and show me how to operate the controls? I mean, it's like, wow, yeah, that's what Winners is going to do. Wow, Koenig, mm-hmm. nice going. Yeah, and if you were really tired, why didn't you go to bed instead of sitting in your chair and just kind of rubbing your face? Anyway, I know, I know. It, yeah, everything about that was just off. So, yeah, I was very unimpressed with Koenig hmm. in this one. Yeah, but that's really, I think, become kind of the pattern lately. Yes. Yes, it is. Um, so having disposed of Winters, let's go on with the story. Um, Leo McCarran right. is uh, playing Companion, um, which is um, an interesting character name. And uh, 
which, as we see, is not really his name. His name was Gwent. Right. And he, uh, through some form of Stockholm Syndrome, (laughs) basically lost his identity to his own creation, which he rather um, stupidly put his own personality in. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I don't even I don't even know where to go with this. So, so Leon McCair- Leo McCarran, famous ish actor, has done some stuff. Was in The Prisoner, and he's been in some other shows, and people would know him. Uh, he's got a nice voice. Um, yes, I uh, you know and I, I would I would also say that he's one of my favorite number twos. Yes, in The Prisoner. Yes. Um, in there twice, two different mm-hmm. hairstyles, and um, or beard styles, as the case yeah. may be. Actually, hairstyles too. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. Um, and I think he gave a pretty decent performance as a feeble old man. Yes, and the I not mean, feeble it, computer. No, I mean, and this it's this is a nice bit of casting it's not like what we've seen in the past and especially when you know you bring in someone like christopher lee to play you know a, a very a standing in the corner yeah who just really who, who barely says anything at least you know uh, leo mckern had had lines mm-hmm. you know whether as as companion or as computer gwent take your pick uh at least he he had something to really offer to the show so it, it was nice to see him used in this particular fashion, and as I said, I I, I like Leo McCurney. It was it was a it, it was pleasant to to watch him in this. So McCurney is of course playing the uh, captive or codependent. Let's go codependent. Codependent's a good one. Codependent. I think this is the whole thing. I think this was meant to be a sort of um, a, a, a very. Sp- Special episode of Space 1999 talking about the problems of codependency, codependency. in yeah. 1970. So, yeah, maybe, maybe that's what the writer was on about. He was probably knew somebody who was codependent and thought, you know, I, I can make a difference in their lives by exposing this issue to the public through this wacky science fiction stuff. Um, okay. Ship comes in. Mm-hmm. It's got its little walkie feedy things spinning mm-hmm. along on its side. All of Alpha is mocking it. It's like, I forgot what Kano's line was, but, you know, if that's a spaceship, <laughs> and Bergman is like, it's it defies all, all, all principles I, of aerospace, aerospace propulsion. Yeah. Okay, I'm, I'm going to cut this slightly for the sake of, of maintaining a clean podcast but i can remember at times when i was a kid i would make some comment to my dad about i don't know the uss enterprise saying you know that's like a really cool design of a spaceship because that's like how it could you know they would probably design a spaceship because you know how kids are right <laughs> and I think, to which my dad's um response would be and i'm paraphrasing that Sun in space, you could uh, let's let's word this correctly. With propulsion, you could fly a turd. Yeah, and and he's you know not wrong. No, he's not. <laughs> not remotely wrong. If you build a ship that is not designed to come into an atmosphere, it you know, could be then the anything engineering you want principles it to be. behind it are completely different. 
Exactly. Not saying you couldn't just you couldn't necessarily do anything. Or let's say you probably could just do anything. But it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, form is going to follow function. In, right. in the case of something is I mean, there are probably are more efficient designs for things in space and uh, I give you an example. Um we might uh, you know, depending on what kind of propulsion systems, you might want to build ships that are, let's say, taller than they are longer, because if you didn't have artificial gravity, then you would be relying on the thrust of the ship to create artificial gravity. So, mm-hmm. you know, probably something long and pointy might be more logical than round or, you know, Whatever. So, I mean, I'm sure that there would be some considerations. I don't know that we would want to call them considerations of aerospace propulsion. Mm. And haven't we seen spaceships that didn't look like they could ever go in? I mean, come on. The eagles don't look like they could go in the atmosphere. No, they don't. To be fair. Yeah. And as far as the the design of this ship... Uh, the moment I saw it, I was immediately taken back to my childhood because when I was a, a very, 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 very young lad around the age of six. Seventeen. Oh, wait, six. Okay. Six. Uh, my my dad gave me uh, – it, it was a – Tinker toys. No. No. <laughs> okay. No. It, it was um, – I, I would call it uh, – it was all themed around uh, Mattel's major Matt Nelson. The astronaut. Oh, okay. Yes, yes. And one yes. of the things, one, one of the vehicles that he uh, that he rode around and that you could put him in and he would ride around was some sort of a lunar crawler. Yep. I had a friend who had that. I, of course, never did because my dad didn't buy me toys like that. But but I, I know the toy. <laughs> I do know that toy. I, I In fact, it wouldn't surprise me if we couldn't find it uh, on... Uh, on Google with a few seconds of searching. Right. Yep, I remember that spacesuit, the nice colored ones. Yep, yep, yep. I don't see that particular toy, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Yes, it also reminded me of um, of Tinker Toys. Now that I didn't know. You know ah, the see kind it. of the spinny, roundy things and the. Oh, I found it. It's called the space crawler. Yeah, there it is. Yep, 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 yep. Nice. And that's that's the one I had, and uh, the I don't know if you're looking at the same thing that I'm looking at. I'm on WildToys.com, mm. and uh, this is a, a box that the 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 space crawler comes in, and in the background is that very same space station that uh, my dad gave me for Christmas. So yes, this is this, this is what it looked like. So yeah, it didn't look that weird to me. I mean, yeah, okay, it's kind of funny that it's got the spinny disks before it lands, but it made sense once it landed. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in space, I'm like, okay, that's a little weird. But boy, yeah, I can see that being very practical once it's actually, uh, if, if it's uh, landing on some kind of a you know planetary or lunar surface. You know, but it's just, it's the hubris of them basically mocking that ship. I know, that I thought was weird. Like, has like you everything else seen... that's ever come out to you in space been oh, able like, to this kick is... your butts? Yeah, so, uh, yeah, this is the weirdest thing you've ever seen. Hmm, I doubt that. Yeah. <laughs> what about that round ball, you know, that came down for the, the hard shape, the plumb bob or whatever? 
Oh, yeah. I know. Oh, that one didn't look good. Yeah, I mean, that looked great. It had landing feet and stuff, and it just flew around. So what's the big deal? Not the spinny, wonky things on the sides. I yeah. Okay, so, I mean, here's the thing about this particular episode that that really comes to my mind is it's nothing but filler. Yeah. Um, there is, I mean, it's just kind of there. There's a germ of an idea about the 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 ship and the man being codependent and having their traveling around the universe and 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 it, even an idea of it being Gwent's Gwent or companion whoever you, which one you want to call him not his better side you know Gwent is me the mm-hmm. worst part of me I leave you to his dreadful mercy. So we had an opportunity to have more of a, a, an analysis of the two facets of this man's personality. And, you know, we could <clears throat> not saying that that isn't ample fodder for science fiction to discuss these things. I mean, let's uh-huh. face it, if, if, you know, if right now you were cloned, let's say, with all identical memories... And one of you was immortal, super strong, impervious to anything. You would not be the same person in one week. True. <laughs> you know? and, and in a year, you would be, you know, if if absolute power corrupts absolutely oh, per- is true. Yeah, personality-wise, then I, one of you be would be a monster. Absolutely. No question. And that is what we kind of see here. Gwent is... The powerful one, Gwent is the capable one, if you will, and he has become a terrible thing, an infernal oh, machine. God damn it, Mary Shelley, start apologizing. <laughs> no, that one's not Mary Shelley. Uh, well, well, think about it. It's 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 the other one. It's it's. Um, yeah, I mean, yes. I mean, we he did he did do something that was an extreme act of hubris uh, by creating it and trying to, as as Ver- Bergman says to him at the end uh, about his um, what was his exact words the ultimate vanity. Uh-huh. Although it didn't really make sense in the context of what um, what Gwent was saying at the time, he was all kind of remorseful and yeah, it's awful and bad, and then. Bergman's like, no, 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 you don't get it. You see, it's the ultimate vanity. It's like, well, isn't that what he was just saying? Mm-hmm. Isn't that what Gwent was just saying to him? Is that basically, you know, it was a mistake? And it, it, I, I don't know. It, yes, I mean, yeah. Obviously, we can we can pen it on on Mary Shelley, but I, I do think they had an interesting idea. Oh, I, it was an interesting idea. And I've yeah, seen it done much better. Yeah, and by killing off Companion so quickly. Oh, that that kind of that that took away the the whole dynamic, which would have been at the very heart of this episode. So it was very much shorthand when he says, "Oh, I'm dying, and uh, I'm leaving you with the worst part of me," <laughs> and kicks over dead. So I mean, yeah, they telegraphed it to us too badly. Yeah, but and and you know, had the rest of the episode been so full with things that had to be done. I can understand that, but the fact is, is that they had to kill time, not once, not twice, but three times. I mean, the first is the very first attack, 
No, four times. The first is the very first attack. The second was the launching into space so that they could jettison the body. Mm -hmm. The third was the big attack. And the fourth was Alan Carter's infiltration attack inside the the machine. Mm -hmm. They completely and utterly, in every case, meaningless. It was all pa- it's all padding. Although I did like the tanks. Yeah, that was kind of nice, but it, that felt a little. Uh, Where did you guys get tanks? Yeah, well, that was the first question. Yeah, but at the same time, some of this felt a little—I don't know—self-indulgent, maybe, in terms of what we're being given in the story. I mean, it's a put something there just for the sake of having it there. Look, Gary, I'm telling you, I'm glad you got this thing off of the earth because that whole tea in the Midlands—that was terrible stuff. But now, okay, I need more explosions, space Which- battles. Boom! I gotta have bang for the buck, Gary. Jerry. Which, whatever you By the is. way, which, mm-hmm. by the way, and I just read this the other day, uh, this kind of goes back in our conversation about why, why, uh, Jerry Anderson went ahead and did Space 1999 following UFO. I just found out that apparently, uh, this was an idea that was supposed to be part of UFO. That, uh, the, the aliens, in a means to destroy Earth, we're going to blow the moon out of its orbit. Hmm. I I think I wasn't that okay. I seem to recall that when he first came up with his "Let's Save UFO" series two, that was their first go, and then for some reason they just decided why carry through with a shadow baggage. And just make it something different. Mm. I, and it kind of makes sense because divorce the moon from the earth and the shadow base from the earth, the whole premise of shadow and, and everything goes away. Plus the moon base was pretty small. Um, but yeah, 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 sure. You know, once you get an idea in there, uh, just keep shaking it around until you make a TV series out of it. Yeah, and I, I guess maybe it felt better to just do 1999 instead of uh, yet another uh, – try to do another season uh, and uh, reinvention of UFO. So mm. so there you are. And they wouldn't be fighting UFOs anymore, I mean, probably. No, they'd be traveling off into space. And Although they would, they would have made for an interesting series in terms of how – what would you have done? Would you have had any – you know, like Stryker or, or you know, Paul or you know, anybody else on – on moon base, uh, while it, when it was blasted away from Earth, or what? I mean, or where you just split the stories? I mean, who you know? One week we're going to focus on Shadow, the next week we're going to focus on the Moon. I mean, who knows what they would have done? Uh, and maybe that's why he decided. Uh, now nah, I think I'll just stick with Space nineteen ninety nine, and we'll keep it on the Moon. I, and I guess he could have done it with UFO, but the other thing is, um, by by starting from scratch. Um, Space 1999 looks so much better oh, yes. than UFO. Yes, it does. The aesthetic of UFO and the shadow ships and all that stuff really, really look like old Thunderbirds and Supermarionation style ships and sets and everything else. And Space 1999, 
you know, I suppose they could have done that in UFO and just said, well, you know, it's 10 years later and we've just rebuilt everything. But it, it doesn't share it doesn't share the aesthetic and it looks fabulous. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yes. In fact, I'm glad you brought that up. That is one of the things that I think was that that was a, a really good plus for this particular episode and for a lot of the episodes that we've had throughout uh, this first season some of the production values are incredibly strong and there were some really great things to look at so it, it was a little bit of uh, sci-fi eye candy mm. in this in this particular episode especially once they they went on board the alien ship and you know uh, Koenig and company walked into this one room and I thought oh man that looks lovely and, you know take up a, a nice you know quarter of the sound stage to do this I mean I thought it looked great it definitely was it definitely was an interesting set. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying that in a disparaging way. Um, you know, does it stand up to scrutiny as to what this was? No, but it you was know, pretty to look pretty, at. You know, it's like, why would he make this machine with so much cavernous big space? I, I don't For I don't only know one that. companion. And yeah, I know. There's a lot of weirdness about it. And the floors. We've seen this on Space 1999 several times somebody there in their set design department just likes to paint the floors in patterns with colors which breaks it up but it's unusual well it's another example of what i would is what i call style over substance it's all about you know you you call it the aesthetic it's all about making it look pretty as opposed to making it functional Mm mm-hmm I mean, people do, you know, your, is the pattern of the tile on your kitchen floor meant to be pretty or is it meant to be functional? So I don't, I don't have any problem with there being decoration in there. Um, but there I'm didn't sure appear to be any decoration. Function- no, but there, there didn't appear to be any, any functionality. It looked like it was just there for the sake of being there. Mm-hmm. But it was nice to look at. It would break up the fact that those would be big, big white floors. Um, you know, considering the way they were shooting that, because there was a lot of higher shots, there was a lot of, um, you know, kind of big expansive shots to show you just how big this soundstage set was. Um, but yeah, it, you know, it was, it was nice. Um, I was, and I only half joking, it's like, where did they get the tanks? But the tanks looked fantastic. They were obviously alpha technology. They uh-huh. even had basically the eagle's head on it but not quite the eagle's head on it which since it's not a spaceship that makes perfect sense that it would not be exactly the eagle's uh, uh head but then they had that one launch platform thing that didn't look like it was alpha technology and that one kind of threw me out of it but i did get the feeling like they were throwing everything at this so we could see it all i want i want lasers i want explosions i want the ground based tanks. I want oh that thing we had from that other episode. Bring that one out and trot it across the moon for some from blowing stuff up. But it looked great. It it all looked it all looked great. Um just a shame that it was in such a sort of huh episode. Yeah, I, again, it's a lot of style or substance. It was let's make this look absolutely dazzling, but plot? Who needs a plot? And I'm just going to go with one more. So we're talking about the look of a set. And I was asking, did it make sense for the inside of this ship to be so big and cavernous? And because, you know, all that empty space, filling it up with all that air for the companion, um, 
but also, you know, the pretty floors and everything like that. And Gwent is blind. Yeah. So, um... Unless he shines a light on you. Yeah, that was kind of... Which I thought, okay, is he blind or... I mean, he's not all he's seeing. tunnel vision. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah, he's not all seeing. He and he's, he has a very, very specific tunnel vision. That's about it. Um, but then, then taking that aside, I got to see something that really I'm, I'm really pleased with. And that is, and, you know, we, I'm sure this debate has been had uh, many times over the years. Uh, you watch the Jetsons, right? And yeah. uh, uh, Spacely calls George Jetson up on the phone and yells at him. And, of course, it's a video phone. You get to see the video phone. And for years, of course, we didn't have video phones, um, nor jetpacks. But um, now we have them. We have FaceTime. We have Skype. We have, we have video communications. We have them on our phones now. And, you know, still... 99% of the calls that people place are audio calls because there's just no real reason to be looking at the other person while you're talking to them unless it's, I don't know, seeing the family or right. some, something, right? So cool though they are, the comlocks have never made a whole lot of sense why they have that TV screen on them. Oh, it, ha it served a purpose this time. But they used it in this episode. That's right. And I appreciated that because they had a tool that was not a tool that the writer would be intimately associated with, like a telephone or a radio or something. But, but And they, they used it in a way that was germane to the plot. And I liked it. I liked it. It didn't make much sense about Gwent being blind. But but apart from that... Yeah, there, was a, there was a lot of... Uh... Uh, red herrings, um, the whole bit about Grant being blind, I mean, that really didn't amount to much. Uh, while the idea of Koenig communicating to Alpha via video so that Gwent was completely, pardon the, you know, pardon the expression, in the dark about everything that was going on, that was a nice touch. I mean, it all amounted to nothing. And I suppose in a real-world situation that... And I, I know that sounds like a very weird thing to say, but in a in a real world situation, yes, people make a series or can make a series of decisions that all amount to nothing. But if I'm watching a television show, I don't want to feel like I'm wasting my time. Mm. Yeah. So, which leads us to that deeper debate: is a seven part episode of Doctor Who inherently inferior to a forty five minute? episode of Doctor Who because they don't have time to waste on any of that stuff? Or Well, if, I, if I'm watching Inferno, then the answer to that is yes. The seven part is inferior to the 45 minute? Is that... Yes, because Inferno is just nothing but oh, let's look at the lava some more and oh, there's more exposition and let's just please move the goddamn story along. So, yeah, I mean, I, it can be that way. Uh, I think, you know, you know and I, I, obviously we don't want to go too far off the track, but it, it is possible to uh, tell a tighter story with less time, 
when you stretch a story out you know for so many parts for contractual reasons or something like that then you just you you literally are stretching it out to the point where it becomes transparent and doctor who has done that but 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 but, but not inferno one of the greatest episodes ever made oh, no no <laughs> Absolutely. One of my all-time top best favorite episodes. <laughs> oh, despise. Oh, no, despise. No, 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 no. Probably one or two. Oh, it has, Seriously. It has moments that are fantastic, but oh, wow. I mean, I think I've only seen that episode a total of three times in my life. Oh, well, that explains it. Um, I haven't watched it enough. Anyway. No, um, don't even. Don't even. <laughs> I can't even bring myself to watch it. it. It it's agonizing. But my point being is that does everything in the episode have to contribute in the long run? And by the way, number five, Victor Bergman's heart failing. Yeah, totally. That was just another another one of those detours that went pretty much nowhere. Yeah, I was expecting a somewhat of a different result afterwards. Not you know, not not him being resurrected or anything, but based on Bergman's uh, gratitude towards uh, towards Gwent for saving his life. Bergman's I, a weird one. Yeah, I would have expected um, Bergman to be the automatic choice. Plus, being the older one, I thought he would have been more of a reminder. Of of companion and that and that uh, Gwent would have appreciated having Bergman on the ship because or stay stay behind as the new companion because of his mind and we didn't get that it 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 was a very bizarre detour yeah and Bergman is well he's a bizarre character <laughs> he, mean, he certainly is this year isn't he his 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 response to the heart uh, being re-energized or whatever it was they did as you said he was he was grateful okay i suppose that's i suppose that's fair but could we not argue that it was gwent that caused him to have his heart failure to begin with well we're not i'm not entirely sure what happened i mean obviously he was touching something but was it an attack by gwent or did bergman just touch something that any any sane person would not have touched that that open panel that was just saying yeah, yeah I, I mean i don't know i don't i didn't actually mean to interpret it as being an attack by gwen but you know there was something something maintaining in, an unsafe work environment for companion there yeah and uh so i i would have thought that you know i'm your prisoner here and you've left me in a place where i've been grievously harmed and then you bring me back to life. And gosh, I'm really happy. Thank you so very much. He just too, he was too uh, happy about it. It's like every time they bring him back. I think this is is his um, his. I've just come back from the brink of death acting. Because remember, it could be every, every other time he always comes back, kind of. Hmm. <laughs> and this is how we this this is how we get philosophical Bergman. Mm-hmm. Although, although I could make the argument that um, he was pumped with so much juice. He was pumped with an awful lot of juice there. That was a lot of power. He was to... glowing. Oh, yes, he was. So I'm willing to bet that he was um, he was kind of riding high at that moment. I suppose. I also thought it was interesting at, at, at 
the point when, you know, he was sending him on his way because he was defective and he was old. And Bergman makes a plea. No, keep me. Send, send them back. No, you're too old. You're defective. Go away. So then Koenig's like, well, at least send Dr. Russell back. And why wouldn't deprive you of your companion? Yeah, that was a, a – that, I will admit, was unexpected. And then the look on their faces. Like, yeah. first John is like, well, what do you mean my com- – oh, huh, huh, hey, huh. Hey, what do you yeah. know? You know, huh, I hadn't I, thought I, about I really that. Could, I hadn't given that much thought. Yeah, really, huh? Oh, yeah, Miss, uh, Miss Botox here. I'm sorry. We can't go through an entire episode of Space 1999 I, without sorry. a mention of Botox. I, I, I can't help it. I know, and I'm sorry, Barbara Bain. I really do like you. I really do. You have no expression. Anyway, <laughs> and she didn't in this episode. She had one face. One uh, face. Which face and was enti- it? <laughs> uh, well, it's 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 the 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 face of um, no expression. Okay. Well, that's that's her usual. Yeah, I mean, I mean what, that's the one face she's got, you know, because God forbid she should try to have an expression on her face because it looks like it's going to crack every time it does. I'm sorry, I'm being mean again. Yes. I like um, Barbara Bain, I really do. You know, and they really didn't do the Botox thing until the 1980s, so whatever it is that... That's why this was science on fiction. Barbara, ...on Barbara Bain, it's in done entirely with special effects. I know, well, it's, it's, this is science it's fiction. It's pre-CGI, too, yeah. so... Someone was someone had the idea. You know, maybe it was Jerry. Maybe one time he was looking at Sylvia and thinking, "Woman, that face." And uh thought, "Okay, well, let, hey, you know, maybe we could uh, you know, we, we could uh, project that onto uh, onto uh Barbara Bain. Yeah, that's it. At some point in the future, they're going to come up with this this method to make everybody's face look really tight, but they'll have no expression." Do you ever do you ever wonder if somewhere out there Barbara Bain is sitting around in her house. She's got her iPod out. She's listening <laughs> to this podcast. And she's and she's thinking, You guys are so neat. Well I would feel very bad about that. <laughs> yeah, I'd be feeling bad about it too, in between the chuckles. <laughs> Barbara Bain, if you're listening. We like you. We really do. Just you were, you were awesome in Mission Impossible. We loved you in Mission Impossible. <laughs> what the hell happened? Well, you know, space, gravity. It's all oh, yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> what else is there? So, how many times does Gwent have to kill him? So, so Gwent was coal fired. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yes, he was with that little bit of fuel. Like, oh, so that's how he operates. That was a coal shoot, uh-huh. and they had a big stick of coal. Yep. <laughs> because if that was if that was some sort of nuclear fuel, wow! And Koenig pulled that out of the casing and held it up in his bare hands and shattered it. I'm gonna <laughs> series over. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Pretty much that- at that point, yeah. That was either that was either coal or it was um, graphite. Take your pick. Mm, either way. Either yeah, way. That was kind of funny. It, it was it was pretty cheesy. All right. What else have we got? Um, I got one thing, um, and it's just a little tiny thing. It, it just is what it, they would, wow, computer. Who knew she had a personality? 
I I have that written down. I have nothing to say on that subject. <laughs> my information is privileged. Yeah. I you don't have my, the privilege. So okay, uh, this is the first time that we've ever heard computer speak in first term. You know, and okay, so here is something that did kind of bug me a bit. Okay, so the the ship first appears. Mm-hmm. And of course, they're now asking, uh, you know, Kano, you know, have you seen, you know, Kano, I haven't seen anything like this. Um, and neither has and, computer. But neither has computer. And my first response to that is, duh. <laughs> no, it's true. Uh, yeah, uh, that was in our files from all the times back when we set up computer before we'd ever encountered alien species. Yeah. I yeah. mean, at first, the argument. Could have been made, maybe, that this was all downloaded data from the Voyager probe with its Queller drive. But, you know, I think it's safe to assume that the moon has traveled much further than Voyager ever went. And and on top of that, you could make the argument that the first thing they check is to find out if it's an Earth vehicle that they just didn't know about, like the Hawks or right. whatever. But what I thought was interesting was it, you're, you're right um the computer does get a little sassy there and it starts with that line i have nothing to say on that subject and if i'm remembering correctly kano asks it a question or koenig asks it a question and kano in some way feeds the question to the computer and the computer comes back with the i have no information on that subject or I have nothing to say on that subject. And Kano goes, and computer knows nothing either, Commander. And he doesn't phase him that the computer has just sassed back at him. I know. That was the part I didn't like. Now, when you got to the other one where the computer says, well, that information is privileged, then everyone seems to kind of pop up. But, you know, with Koenig's abject hatred of computer anyway, I'm surprised he didn't order it shut down and disassembled. Come to think of it. <laughs> True. Uh, but then he would have been killing Kano's girlfriend by doing so. That's uh, true. There's that is a problem because there's only 311 and on um, Moonbase Alpha, and you get those odd numbers. And uh, yeah, poor Kano. Yeah. But Kano's. He remember we have to we have to remember that he's that rare human who has he he has that weird computer implant in his into his head. Mm-hmm. He was part of some weird computer experiment. That's why he's the perfect I call person. It cult. It, yeah, maybe computer cult. That's why he's the perfect person to uh, be dealing with computer and, and massaging her control panels and buttons all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we don't know what he does with that port when we're not looking. Oh, I don't want to know. I don't know. No, that, yeah. that that would definitely turn that into an R-rated show. The other thing that was kind of vaguely interesting about Gwent was that they didn't make a big deal out of it. But Gwent was very emotional. I mean, big crying, big sobbing. Yeah, all that stuff. And again, it, it just felt a little bit like we should have been exploring that through the episode, at least through some form of dialogue. Of Ed Bergman formulating an opinion or a hypothesis as the way goes. Um, I guess maybe the argument is is that we were supposed to know it all along, but at the same time, it, it seems like it was worthy of mention. You know, yeah. it's like, 
Victor, this computer is crying. What's up with that? I this computer this has drama. feelings. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I felt... I wish Gwen had just died. I wish that they had found a way to get Koenig and them out of Gwent when he died the first time. Mm-hmm. Because every time something crashes on Alpha or on the moon, I feel like Alpha should be salvaging that alien technology. Ooh, reverse engineering. You know, anything. I mean, more resources, more advanced metals, uh, you know, making some progress out of this. But every stinking time, it gets blown up. Yeah. And, bit of a bit know. of a bummer. And and of course, you know, even if it hadn't been blown up, they would have forgotten its existence in the next episode anyway, because that's the way TV was. But I you know, I would like to see them get some stuff. It would be nice, but yeah, we're you know, that we're never gonna see that. We're not gonna see any of that whatsoever, because that's just not how the show works. The last line. Lonely blind creature looking for death. Roll credits. Yeah. Totally inappropriate at that moment. Mm-hmm. Not that the credits, but in other words, then hopping into the kind of chipper end music actually jarred me. It, it, yeah, like it was. One, this looked because it went, it was very quick. Of course, he says that, then they go to the still frame and it's silent, like in memoriam, and then bam. It, happy yeah, ending, it happy ending. Mm-hmm. I know. It was very, very weird. Uh, it just, just, you know, a final weird moment in a lot of weird. Which I think sums this episode up to a T. Well, you know, the thing that really bothered me, uh, this, in, in many ways, well, not in many ways, uh, in, in some ways, but taken to a really bizarre extreme, this was the ultimate computer for this series. Well, yeah, I mean, we've imprinted a man's, um... His engrams. Basically. Yeah, that's basically what we had. Um, you you had um, uh, oh god, the, the guy's name, and I just had it here, and I've lost it. Uh, crap. Star Trek? No, not not Daystrom. Daystrom. Gwent? No. Well, Gwent's full name. Companion. Oh, well. Uh, companion's full name. I had it written Ploppy down. Ploppypus, uh, Valiard, Slumpy Bump, uh, Ollivander, Gwent. We can just make something stuff up. like it's that. Just noises, yeah. It was. Um, Plebeus, I think, was part of the Plebeus, name. that's a good one. You Plebeus. <laughs> no wonder he goes by companion. <laughs> yeah, really. I would do. Oh, absolutely. Um, it, it, there was just something. Oh, shoot. I just saw it here. Yeah, Delmer Plebeus Powell's Gwent. Which I do think was funny when Koenig called him that back. It's like, you memorized that? In one listen. In one listen, heck, Ben wrote it down and still can't call it and back I to mind. I still couldn't call it back. It. <laughs> Except Plebeus, and I, even that was not exactly right. I knew the first name began with a D. That was about it. So, uh, yeah, I was very impressed. Well, that's why Koenig is commander. Good point. Good point. He's good with names. Absolutely. He, <laughs> Winters, he can, you're in he, the big boy chair now. <laughs> he's got a photographic memory. He can just see something and remember it and pull it out of his head. That's one place. Uh, <laughs> as far as the rest of the episode, which gets pulled out of its anyway. There you go. All yeah, I right. mean, this this could have been really – this could have been a good science fiction episode with a very strong parable. And it was anything but. And quite the soundtrack, too. Yeah. Again, I didn't like it. 
No. I, it, it, it was lame. Uh, I hated the idea of Koenig and company merely waiting for Gwent, you know, waiting Gwent out until he had exhausted you know, most of his energy reserves. And then you bring him back. It's like, oh, what's, that all, what's that supposed to be about? Uh, I suppose there was supposed to be some kind of action reaction in this story. You know, action taken by Gwent, reaction taken by Koenig and company or vice versa. But it, it was it was just so weakly executed that it just felt, again, like a bunch of padding because they had no idea how to really properly develop what started off as I think is a good idea. Indeed. And so next time when we're looking at Space 1999, we are going to be looking at the episode Mission... Of the Darians, starring Joan Collins. Uh, I know that I saw that one because I do remember her in it, but I that's it, maybe it'll come back to me once I watch it. Looking like Edith Keeler. Imagine that. Back when she was young enough to look like Edith Keeler. But at least she can still make a face. <laughs> I'm sorry, Barbara. Am I being... I, I like you, Barbara. I really do. You guys cut that out. Stop making fun of me. <laughs> oh my we have gone too far <laughs> just a tad ben thank you for joining me oh it was a joy and listeners i hope you'll join us all again next time on fusion patrol cheers <laughs> fusion patrol is a lone locust production like us please consider becoming our sponsor at patreon.com slash fusion patrol We'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review on iTunes. Stop by and visit us at our website, FusionPatrol.com. Search for us on Facebook under Fusion Patrol. Check out our Twitter handle, at Fusion Patrol. Or just send us an email at feedback at FusionPatrol.com. Please come join the conversation. Our music is Fight the Future by Amberwolf.